Welcome to the future of space. I'm your host, Daniel Fox. Today we have Emmanuel Duplay. He is an engineering student who's passionate about space flight and exploration. He started researching advanced space propulsion during his bachelor studies in Canada at McGill. He's now pursuing a master's degree in astronautical engineering in the Netherlands. He joined us. He joins us today from the Hague in the Netherlands. Emmanuel, welcome to the future of space. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, let's start with like all the other interviews and give me your three words to describe space. So um, the first word that comes up immediately is awesome, but awesome in the, the original sense of the word. So it's really you step outside on a clear night, look up at the stars and it's just wow, every time, like it doesn't get old. Um, so yeah, awesome is really the, the first word that comes to mind. Um, secondly, I would say it's the future to me. Um, I don't really envision a future, especially for, for humanity, uh, that doesn't involve, uh, you know, stepping out, well, stepping, flying out into the cosmos and, and really settling other worlds to me that just, I, I can't really imagine, uh, a future where we don't do that. And so that's, that's a really big part of space to me. And um, finally, I think the last word would probably be a challenge. A uh, challenge, obviously, for engineers and scientists, because, um, you know, you got to develop spacecraft, the ways to actually live and, and work in space, obviously. Um, but also, it's a challenge for society, I think. Um, going out into space is going to bring up uh, a whole suit of questions and problems that we can't even imagine at the moment. And I think that, you know, even as a regular regular human, that's going to bring up questions and problems that uh, um, that we don't have the, the social tools really to deal with at this point. So, so that would really capture it all. Now, before we get into some of the stuff that you and your team are working on, um, I want to talk about I want to know from you the reason why you think going to space is important. And I think obviously you're from a younger generation. Your generation grew up with a lot of the narrative around climate change. And even right now, mm -hmm. there's kind of a div division of the people who are focusing on space is actually at the expense of, of some of the issues that we have on, on Earth. Why do you think it's important to go to space? Uh, so, I mean, I totally see where, where they come from. And I mean, I'm myself, you know, full support of, uh, um, you know, green initiatives and making sure we, we live on a, we have a sustainable way of living uh, moving forward. Um, and so I totally see the issue that, you know, we got to worry about our own planet too. And um to that, I always think, well, one doesn't prevent the other, for one thing. Not only does one prevent the other from happening, you know, we can do both at the same time, but also they actually, uh, there's a synergy there. They, they help each other out. Um, for example, a lot of the, the space technologies developed uh, by NASA for the Apollo program, um, you know, this has real consequences, benefits, right, here down on earth um 
the most obvious example of how really uh, space tech helps protect our planet actually is, uh, you know, we have a whole fleet of weather satellites up in space that help us track the evolution of climate change. They help us track deforestation. Um, they can help us fight, you know, uh, leaks of methane gas that, you know, if we actually uh, plugged up these leaks, we could have a real like quick benefits um, for you know, climate change uh, if we actually use these these technologies to, to help us out. So uh, to me, there isn't, I, I don't see this as like one against the other. And I think, um, yeah, that, that's one thing I, I want to say to people who ask me this question is, is that's, they don't have to be uh, separate. How did you, you're working right now in propulsion. You're, you have an engineering background. Mm -hmm. um, were you always interested in space from a young age or was that a kind of with the, the economy and the future uh, opening up now, you saw that there was a good opportunity um, or were you, um, were you drawn to the stars from a, from an early um, age? Uh, I'd say it was, it started really young. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a child, I was very curious about everything. Uh, I, I loved watching documentaries, um, just learning about things, whether it had to do with, you know, all kinds of science or engineering didn't matter. Uh, but eventually I really, uh, got drawn to the aerospace side, uh, of all that. I mean, my dad was a pilot. Um, so, you know, maybe it's genetic, I don't know. Uh, but, um, yeah, I got really interested in aviation and space flight as well. Uh, that kind of was a background interest of mine throughout high school. And then if people ask me like the single, if I had to give a single reason as to why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, it's, uh, it's a game called Kerbal Space Program. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little silly to say that, but, uh, uh, I played this game, figured out, you know, building rockets, planning missions, that's fun. Um, and at the same time, you know, SpaceX was really starting to, to launch Falcon 9. They made their first landing. And so um, that's when it really clicked that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I'm good at physics, good at math. Maybe I should study engineering and then try to uh, work in the space industry. And what led you to the propulsion aspect of it? I mean, there are obviously various different fields. And now you're working on propulsion, which led to um, mm -hmm. pretty big media coverage um, that we're going to be talking soon. But why, why propulsion? What was attractive to propulsion? Um, so my bachelor's degree was in mechanical engineering, uh, where so it's not necessarily focused on uh, flight. Uh, but from that, I got a fairly strong background in thermodynamics and uh, fluid dynamics. And I ended up working with a professor who, who, who was an expert in, in uh, you know, detonation, propulsion, uh, and all of these fields. Uh, so I'd say that I had the, the background to get into it. Um, not necessarily because I was seeking it out, but just from my studies. And the other side of it is also that propulsion is really what allows you to do 
anything in space, right? Space is so vast. It, there's such great distance that you got to um, travel through and then uh, that you need the right kind of propulsion to get where you want to go. Because if you don't have it, you end up, you know, in empty space, far from everything. And there's not much to do there. So it's it's a very it's it's a key driver in what we can do out there, and uh, that's why I think it's really it's really interesting and really important. Do you think that we're due for a groundbreaking development in mobility and propulsion? Because we've been kind of living under the same um, concept of moving. You know, either it's usually back on Earth is on the wheel, or we have the plane, or when it gets to space, it's a rocket, but we haven't had these kind of that groundbreaking next innovation that would change really mobility and the way that we move. Do you think that um, we're just about to kind of, I mean, obviously you're working with the laser and we're going to be talking about that, but do you think that we're about to change the game pretty soon? I think soon is a little difficult to say. I don't think we're at like a, a breaking point where you know there's going to be a big breakthrough in all of that um it's very progressive and i think the current way we travel through space so with you know big rockets chemical engines uh, or electric propulsion that's gonna be good enough for for what we want to do for our first steps on mars for instance for the next you know decade or two at least um but I do think that we need to be working on, you know, more advanced propulsion systems that can really open up the solar system for us. So it's really a matter of doing the the background work, right, to enable, you know, these big developments uh, in the coming years. Now, they're not going to see, you know, actual use very soon. Hopefully they'll see use in my lifetime, but, um, you know, I'm not like holding my breath for it. Um, yeah, I do think this needs to happen eventually. I don't think that, uh, you know, it's going to happen tomorrow or next year. Well, maybe you have better chances of seeing it than, um, I got 50, 50 years and you get uh, many more years than, than I do. So hopefully you'll get to see it during your time. Now let's talk about what you and your team have been working on and made the, the, the media recently with this technology of laser traveling to Mars, a technology that could reduce dramatically the time um, getting to mm -hmm. Mars. So please share with us um, what it is and how does it work? Right, so the concept is called laser thermal propulsion. Um, and to start with, I have to talk about another propulsion system um, called uh, well, you could call it light sails or laser-driven light sails. So you've heard probably of solar sails where the sun's light can actually push these and you can you basically get free propulsion. It's slow, but it works. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago, there's been um, talks about uh, something called break, Breakthrough Starshot, where you use a very large laser on Earth to push a light sail out to you know other stars right so because we have this big laser we can actually apply way more power on that sail than the sun could and so we can accelerate that sail much faster than than we would otherwise um and so my research group that i joined at mcgill uh 
originally started working on, well, figuring out some mechanical issues with this concept and seeing what we can do to solve that. But um, we also thought, well, it would be nice to have, you know, ideas that we could test out with this giant laser, uh, maybe in between, you know, from the, the tiny little laser prototype to, you know, the kilometer wide lasers to actually do these interstellar flights. It would be nice if we found applications for, you know, a 10 meter wide laser that's much more accessible to build. And uh, that's where laser thermal propulsion comes in. Um, what's great is with that 10 meter laser, um, you know, the power requirements are lower, the size is lower, and you can still do very interesting missions out in the solar system, right? You can drastically increase uh, the speed at which you get to different parts of the solar system. And, um, yeah, so the idea is you have this 10 meter wide laser array on earth again, um, and you beam it to a spacecraft in orbit. That spacecraft can capture the laser with a big mirror and focus it into a thrust chamber. Like a, almost, it's very similar actually to just a regular rocket engine. Um, and that laser, you just use it to heat up propellant, hydrogen in this case, and it's a big steam kettle, right? Eventually it gets so hot, it just shoots out the back and then you get propulsion out of that. And that allows you to get um, pretty high thrust and high efficiency actually in your propulsion that you don't really have at the moment. Like currently you either have, you know, not very efficient, but very powerful chemical rocket engines, or you have extremely efficient, but um, not very powerful uh, electric uh, motors. And this actually goes right in between. And that's really what enables sending, you know, large payloads to say Mars in 45 days, for instance. Now, the, I mean, a lot of people, when they think of laser, they'll think of science fiction and something that can cut through mm -hmm. material. I imagine that that laser that you shoot to a, a, a spacecraft, it's not a, it's not a lightsaber that's going to cut. If there's anything in between, there's going to destroy it. How does it, what is the reality of it, of, of that laser being shot to space, uh, to that spacecraft? So, uh, we picked out a specific wavelength for that laser. Well, we, you know, the people working on breakthrough Starshot picked out. Uh, a wavelength in the near infrared spectrum at one micrometer. And it happens to travel through the atmosphere almost unaffected, right? That's why we picked this wavelength because we don't actually, you know, it's not good for us if the laser is affected by the, it affects the atmosphere because that means we lose power on the way to the spacecraft. And so we specifically pick a wavelength that goes right through without affecting anything unless of course, you know, something flies right in the middle of it, but, uh, now, and how far can that connection to the laser um, happen? Like once, obviously, it starts to get the speed, and on you know on its way to Mars, I I assume that you the the laser will won't be able to connect or propel the uh, the spacecraft. So how far can it get uh, uh, with that connection? Mm -hmm. um, it's really a, a function of the the size of your laser array. Um, so we're looking at basically the, the kind of size, the maximum size of the, well, the minimum spot size, we call it 
that you can you know shine on an object at x distance away um, is going to be proportional to the diameter of your your laser your laser emitter it's also a function of wavelength and uh, so on but that's that's what really governs it um, so with our our current study we envision a 10 meter wide laser array at one micrometer of wavelength and the spacecraft itself has a reflector that's also 10 meters wide. Uh, if you run these numbers, um, you find that you know its approximate range is about um, I think it, yeah it's fifty thousand kilometers uh, in altitude, and that's more or less uh, where the GPS satellites orbit. Uh, yeah, and past that point, it's not that suddenly you can't get any laser power anymore, but now you start losing it a lot of it because it really spreads out. Um, but yeah, and if you want to actually go further than that, well, you need to be, build a bigger laser or you need to build a bigger reflector or you need to change your wavelength. Would it be feasible to think that at some point there's a series of relay, like at different stations, like, you know, you leave the earth and then there's another laser starting from the moon that picks you up. And then we have these kind of other point on the way to Mars. So that you're you're starting with one, but then you get picked up by more on the way that just keep, you know, keep propelling you forward. Would that be a, a possibility in the future? Yeah, in a sense. Um, I think it's not required, at least when it comes to getting to Mars. Um, in our current mission design, where we're thinking, you know, we've got one single 10 meter laser array on Earth. Um, and you know you turn it on for one hour and that's enough to shoot the spacecraft out to mars uh, what would be great is to also have that laser array on mars to slow down the spacecraft and of course if you want to go maybe further out and you want to get there fast yeah having a network of these laser arrays throughout the solar system like the the big all bodies in the solar system with with these laser arrays and then having people traveling through the system just flying by an asteroid or a moon and just you know, getting a little push um, from that laser to uh, get where they need to go. Now, often when we see lasers in the lab, everything is so extremely precise. You have these mirrors, they're moving around, there's a lot of go going in different places, but everything is so, 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 so precise. Is it the same thing if you're going to shoot the laser at that spacecraft or there's room? I mean, it's, it's you get the mirror but the precision is not needed on that on that level. So there's definitely a lot of precision involved in, in pointing your laser array at the spacecraft, right? Um, it's a tiny point in the sky and you need to just get right on that. So uh, to help with this, um, we'd put, of course, some sort of beacon on the spacecraft to, you know, help the laser array actually uh, narrow down its, its aim onto it. And now we're not really working on the laser array technology ourselves at Miguel, but um, researchers at UC Santa Barbara are, are really working on this, this other side of the equation where, uh, yeah, you need really precise tracking on the laser array. But once that laser actually gets to the spacecraft, we don't believe that you really need a, a high, highly precise mirror like the, the kind you'd see on James Webb, right? Um, we have uh, our, our concept has this inflatable uh, reflector, which 
it doesn't have like optical quality. Of course, you're not going to build a telescope out of it, but we believe it's actually enough to focus the laser into the chamber and, and get a good enough focus to heat the, our propellant to the temperatures that we need. Now, you just said an inflatable uh, reflector. Yeah. Um, how does that work? So uh, inflatable reflectors, they've been considered already, uh, you know, a few decades ago already. Um, mostly for telecommunications and um, solar thermal propulsion, which is very similar, but using the sun. And yeah, the, the, the advantage of this is you can, you know, pack your big antenna into a little package. And then once you're in space, you just blow it up like a balloon. It just expands out and then boom, you've got a nice parabolic reflector and you can use it as an antenna or as a mirror, whatever you want. Um, and so there's been experiments done uh, in space and on the ground to see, you know, how, how well that works. And it's not like it's a trivial, you know, simple problem because uh, uh, there's, there's stability issues involved with this um, that still need to be worked out. But um, aside from that, I mean, it's, it does, it's about as simple as you, you imagine. It's just you inflate your, your antenna and then that's it. Um, Are you... Um you and your team also working on the propellant the, um, that the laser is um, hitting, you know, to create that that, uh, that push? Are you just working on the laser aspect or you're re really working on the entire equation? So the laser, also the reflector and the propellant. Yeah, so this study was really about um, doing kind of the preliminary design of like a whole spacecraft that we use this technology. And so we really focused on the, the key components, which would be the reflector, the thrust chamber, and just doing the math on like how much repellent we'd need, um, uh, what kind of other systems would be required on the spacecraft to make it all work, and ultimately get some sort of a mass estimate for this basic, basic spacecraft as like an, a lower bound to how light we can make it. Because really what we want is, is a system that um, for the amount of power it can manage, we want it to be as light as possible, right? It's a figure called the uh, specific power. Um, it's called labeled alpha in our paper. And um, if you look at, it's often used for electric propulsion systems uh, where you do have these alphas of about, you know, at best one kilowatt per kilogram or no, one kilogram per kilowatt. Uh, and you want it as low as possible, right? You want it the least amount of kilograms per kilowatt of power. And we were hoping to, you know, show that we could probably achieve, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.01, 0 0.001 kilogram per kilowatt. And that's what you know, we've been able to show in a way. Uh, at least it's with very promising figures that show that, you know, it might be doable. Uh, and with that kind of specific power, you can really... Uh, go out into the solar system, uh, you're pretty much unlimited. Um, yeah. Do you think the technology um, will have applications on Earth also? Um, can you see a, a future where that technology is applied to perhaps plane or other uh, ways of, of moving around, but on Earth? Uh, yeah. So the, the concept of directed energy in general, which, which uh, you know, it's remote power essentially. And 
if you can make it work, it's very attractive, right? You could have airplanes that don't need to carry fuel or, well, maybe they would, but, uh, or you could have cars that don't need to carry, you know, their energy source. Um, it's a little more, I think, complicated when it comes to say your, your day-to-day -day life because uh, your power sources are so much more accessible. Um, our, you know, our engines are so much more efficient um, and we already don't need to carry as much propellant in a way, right? Our airplanes, uh, they suck air out of the atmosphere to actually burn their fuel. Whereas on a rocket, you need to carry that air with you. And that's a big problem, big uh, disadvantage. So I, I don't think on the ground, um, the benefits of directed energy are good enough to justify how impractical it would be to have these I mean, it, it doesn't have to be lasers, but if you imagine having a bunch of laser arrays just shooting at things in the sky, it's a little anxiety-inducing. So uh, I'm not entirely sure if there are like great applications for it down here, but uh, I do think the reverse, so getting energy in orbit and then beaming out, beaming it down to the surface of the Earth uh, has some limited applications. Um, it would be a great way to deliver power to really remote areas, um, you know, remote communities, uh, scientific bases in Antarctica, um, military bases. Uh, so that's something that's being looked into. Actually, uh, they wouldn't be using lasers; they'd be using most likely microwaves um, to beam that power down. So there are other applications to directed energy uh, other than propulsion, um, but I'm not sure you'll see them in your day to day. Now, so the research and the work that you did got a lot of attention, got a lot of media coverage. So what is next now? What was the, the kind of the outcome from that attention? Uh, what did it bring to the team and what are you, what are, what are you all working on uh, right now? So. What the team really wants to do at this point is to start doing experiments. Um, my supervisor's background is really into experimental uh, research. So we have a lab with equipment. Uh, we're getting a three kilowatt laser delivered sometime this year, hopefully. Uh, and the idea is really to do any experiments that could help um, kind of validate the models that we have and possibly even build like a prototype thruster. Um, so that's really the direction we're going into. And we, we've gotten some uh, attention from other researchers who'd like to collaborate. Um, so we're looking into that. And um, yeah, hopefully this, this can really kick off uh, a big research effort in that area. If there is uh, someone that's watching and they want to do something, what is it that uh, the team needs right now? I mean, you mentioned you're going to get the delivery of a big laser. Uh, you get some interest from other researchers. What else is the, the team needs right now? So, you know, we're still in the academic research phase, right? So it's a little hard to say, oh, just, just donate to so-and-so um, to make this happen, or we can't like really have a Kickstarter for it <laughs> at this point. But um, I think, um, so, so our, we're doing our research in Canada uh and there's this program in the us called NIAC, which is run by nasa 
um, and it's basically an institute that funds research on really advanced concepts. Uh, it's the Institute for Advanced Concepts. Um, and, you know, they fund ideas like this uh, on propulsion, on all kinds of technologies uh, for spaceflight, such as I think the latest one uh, funded a, a study on, on 3D printed spacesuits. Um, and so this is the kind of thing that uh, could work our project could really fit in and we could make a proposal. Unfortunately, because we're Canadian, we can't actually um, participate into this program. Um, so, I mean, that's why collaboration with American uh, research institutes is great, uh, but also, especially for Canadians, it's, it's pushing, for example, the Canadian Space Agency to have a similar program or uh, pushing NASA to, you know, expand this program to Canada or other partner countries, things like that. Um, but ultimately it's still research. And so it's, it's down to, yeah, it's down to getting funding from the sources that research usually gets its funding from. So we need to, uh, to let Canada know that you need to create a program investment program, like the one in, down in the U S so it can support Canadian teams. Now more on the, uh, on the personal level, if you had the chance to, uh, to go to the moon or, uh, if there's a position that's going to open on on the on the orbital space station uh, would you go and and uh and work there oh yeah absolutely no 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 questions asked um maybe a few questions but i'd be i'd be on board absolutely uh i was thinking if somebody asked me whether i'd want to go to mars with no way of coming back and just spend the rest of my life there i wouldn't immediately say no <laughs> So I'd consider it, but uh, I'm definitely very, uh, would you know, it'd be a dream to actually go out there and, and get some work done. I'm not so interested in going as a tourist. Um, I really want to go and, you know, have a mission, an objective to, to do. Yeah, when it comes to Mars, usually it depends if someone is in a relationship, the situation of the partner, if it's a, if it's a, a one-way trip or a round trip. Um, I know that, that myself and, and my wife, uh, it's more the idea that once we get into our 90s and we're about, you know, we're okay with doing, you know, leaving the earth and never coming back and just seeing the stars, then we can do that. Uh, but going to the moon, absolutely, or even going to space, um, that is definitely on, on our list and hopefully we'll get, we'll get to see it. Um, Emmanuel, what's the, what's the general mood in your generation when like talking about space or working in space, is there, is it pretty common that everybody is excited about it? Um, or are you kind of in a little group focusing on a big vision? Um, do you see some kind of camaraderie, uh, within, within your generation? That's a little hard to answer for me. I think I've realized um, over the years that I'm definitely way more into this than some other people my age might be. And that's somehow always a surprise to me. I don't, to me, it doesn't make sense. Like, how are you not crazy about this as well? Um, so I'd, I wouldn't say, you know, it's something that everybody thinks about or everybody, you know, yeah. So some people don't even think about it. They see, they might see SpaceX in the news once in a while, but they'll just see, you know, whatever. Um, 
So if anything, you know, some of us might be indifferent, but I guess that's kind of normal at any generation for any topic. Um, I do see, you know, some people are a little more skeptical about what we're doing, about what Elon Musk is doing. You know, his personal profile is a little controversial. Um, but I'd say among, you know, other engineering students, uh, you know, it's pretty much unanimous excitement about it. Um, and, and yeah, just a lot of uh, hope for the future. Yeah, I think the one, and that's, you know, part of my, my goal with the future space and the writing that I do, there's, we are going to space because nature wants to go there. I mean, from the perspective of life on earth and in the universe, it never really wanted to be limited to the planet earth. There are other life spots. I do believe that there are other life spots in the universe and life inherently wants to connect. So as soon as you can get a species that takes life, basically taking it from a single planet to multi-planetary in the same way that cells went from single cell to multi-cells and then evolution kind of took a quantum leap. Um, life wants to go out. So we're just the ambassador. We're just the medium through which life is going out. And it's not, it's, yes, now we're talking about the earth, but before that, you know, talk and then think of any family who, you know, they have their kids and then they have their grandkids and then they have their great, great grandkids. Not everybody stays under the same roof. Everybody has to leave the house at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not at the expense of the parents to stay behind. It's actually for the benefit of everyone, all this talent that's just being import, uh, exported and the, these children now are developing their own families and then all this knowledge is this information and the resources are being shared for the support of the house, you know, the, where they grew up in. So it's not, it's really not at the expense of the other. It's really for the support um, and whether the technology, but also mining, as soon as we can mine off of off the planet is going to be at the benefit is going to take the, the stress off the planet. Because even this vision of a battery economy that we have, if we have to extract all these resources from the planet Earth, is going to create as much damage, but in different ways. But if we can do it, you know, on the moon or on an asteroid or another place, and I, you know, and I do believe that the there's going to be some recycling technologies in space that are going to be extremely beneficial for the Earth because your resources in space are extremely valuable and scarce. Yes, you can throw out pretty much anything here because you can get it from a gross, you know, any, any store. But in space, that atom of carbon that you have, that you bring with you, you cannot throw that out as if it was just something that you can replace. So you're going to have to figure out how to recycle that atom of carbon in various ways, you know, whether through food or any material, but there's, it's, you know, that pile of garbage in your space, you're not going to open the door and throw it out. You're going to have to, there's going to, there is going to be a necessity because yeah. it's, you know, it's more valuable than gold. So now it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see the, the narrative that is being developed, but I think that we have to put the human 
narrative, the story in it. It's not just about science and billionaires. And yes, billionaires are always there first to create opportunities. And that's, the, that's their goal. That's their, their place in the equation. And then you have the other people to tell the stories. So right now you're in Amsterdam at the Hague. Um, how many more years that you have left in the program? Uh, I still have, well, I'm just finishing up my first year. Um, still have a few courses to finish uh, mid-April. And after that, it's internship and then working on uh, my thesis for uh, the next year. Is there one company that uh, calls your heart um, for the internship? If, uh, if we can make some connections? I don't even want to start talking about internships. <laughs> it's been such a headache for me, actually. Um, no, I've been uh, I've been sending out applications to uh, you know, all the big new launcher startups. So, um, of course, SpaceX. Um, uh, I had a few interviews at Relativity Space. Uh, and then, you know, other, I also applied to, you know, companies in the, in Europe, um, often focusing on like small satellites. Um, but yeah, I, at this point, it's really just about getting experience. If I could, uh, if I could get an internship, just getting my hands onto uh, a problem, getting, you know, into the industry and just, uh, really getting that experience. But, um, I'd say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, yeah, there's also the option of, 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 I was talking about researchers who want to collaborate with us on, on this project. So, um, I'm also looking into possibly just, uh, like framing it as an internship for the summer and then moving on and doing my thesis, basically just expanding on the work that we've done, uh, that we've published last year. Well, I'll make sure that I can funnel your way, any connection that you need, um, already thinking of some people. So, um, whether you want to start your company or you want to, you want an internship, um, I will, well, future space will help, um, in any ways that we can. So don't hesitate in, in asking. Thanks. Um, Emmanuel, it was, it was a pleasure. I know it's late for you. Um, I, oh, I see that you have the, um, the, um, the rocket just uh, on top of your uh, rope there. Yeah, just up here. Yeah. <laughs> are you uh, are you following the uh, the development of the Artemis? And um, did you actually put your name into the the awareness campaign that they have? I don't think I did it for Artemis. I think I did it for the um, the Perseverance rover. Um, but I don't think I did the the little ticket right where you put your name and it's sent <laughs> off with it. Yeah, no. The boarding. I'm not pass. sure I did it. Yes. I think I might have forgotten to do it. But uh, I am following it. You know, I, I saw a bit of the rollout of SLS, and uh, for all the controversy around it, you know, it's it's impressive. It's it's inspiring, and it's it's awesome as well. So yeah. it is awesome. I think it's a wonderful way to uh, to uh, finish this conversation by reconnecting to the you know your 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 three words to describe space. It is awesome. Emmanuel, thank you so very much for taking the time. I know it's late you know, in Europe right now. Not a problem. Uh, so I really appreciate it. And uh, wish you all the, be the, the, the luck, the best of luck in, in the work. And we look forward to seeing the development and how your career is going to blossom into space. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.